Kids go to the kids' table, and everybody else turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. First Corinthians three. Quality builders. It sounds like a fly by night operation that wants to put a roof on your house that won't make it through the next thunderstorm. Quality builders, right? I I, I get that. It's immediately what I thought about <clears throat> when I came up with the title, but it works for the message. Don't think of an inferior, think of superior, true quality. Boy, it sounds like a commercial. It's just getting worse. Maybe I just, let me back off on that. And quality builders is what Jesus is looking for. In, in this passage that we're going to look at, and, and as a matter of fact, uh, all throughout the beginning portion of 1 Corinthians, uh, chapters 1, 2, 3, Paul is specifically talking to leadership. He is letting them know what they are supposed to do. He, he's, he's talked to um, Apollo, talked about Apollos, talked about uh, Peter and, and, and all these folks. I, I tell you what, let me, let me back up. Let's read the passage first. Let's, uh, do, do, uh, that's the way I had it on the slides. I'm realizing that I, I got my notes in a little out of order. Let's read the passage first. But actually, I want to start not at verse 10. That's what I'm preaching on this morning, 10 through 17. But let's back up all the way to verse 5 as we start reading this morning. And then you'll, you'll hear it as we talk about it. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? They are servants through whom you believed, and each has the role the Lord has given. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's co-workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to God's grace that was given to me, I have laid a foundation as a skilled master builder, and another builds on it. But each one is to be careful how he builds on it. For no one can lay any other foundation than what has been laid down. That foundation is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or stubble, each one's work will become obvious, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will experience loss, but he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Don't you yourselves know that you are God's temple and that the Spirit of God lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and that is what you are. Now, as I was saying, Paul is specifically talking to leadership here. He, he brings up Paul, I said Peter earlier, he brings up uh, Apollos, he brings up himself, Paul, and he's, he's talking to the leadership that would build on what they did in starting this church. But it concerns all members. He, he's going to spend most of 
the book of uh, the letter of 1 Corinthians talking to members and, and their actions. So he's working his way from leadership down. Of course, we also know that every church member, every uh, believer is a minister, is a missionary. We all have equal responsibility for the church, just some are called to specific leadership positions. It doesn't take away anyone else's responsibility. So he's talking to all members here, not just leadership, but he does want leadership to hear this especially. Those who would be in any, in any position to make decisions or to lead. And then he goes from the idea of planting, which goes really well, this seed metaphor with, with our theme for May and June, to a, a building metaphor. Well, we don't want to lose this idea of the seed being planted. That's, that's what we're working on. But I couldn't ignore the building here. Paul has some incredible words for us. And what we need to remember, just as God does the, the growing when the seed is planted, God provides the bricks for the building. He, he says this, uh, something similar to that, in other places. Now, this passage is interesting in that I have misused it a couple of times, uh, or a couple of different portions of this. And I, I believe it, it, it is important for us as individuals to hear the message as individuals. We need to do works that are good, uh, gold, silver, precious jewels, not wood, hay, and straw. But in the past, I have used this passage to talk specifically to individuals about what you're doing all the time. And then we also use uh, verses 16 and 17, don't you know that you're God's temple, to tell people not to do drugs or not to drink alcohol or not smoke cigarettes or whatever. Your body is a temple. Well, in fact, when you study these passages, Paul is not talking to individuals about their individuality, he's talking to church members about their church. And as we're going to see when we work through this, he's telling the church members, leadership and membership, to make sure that everything you do in the church, for the church, what you are building is good, is proper, is worthwhile, it has longevity to it, has purpose to it. And that when it is talking about the temple, when he says, y'all are the temple, he's talking about we, the church, is the temple, are the temple. We are, the church is, the temple. And, when, and that is where the Holy Spirit resides. We know he resides in us individually, but we, especially in our Western society, have individualized our faith so much that we say it's all about me when Scripture says it's all about we, the community, the church. And he says if anyone would destroy the temple, would destroy the church, work to hurt the church, they will be thrown out. So we're going to see these things as we move through this, this passage. Verses 5 through 9 gave us the background. Verses 10 through 17 will be our focus this morning. 
And I always point you, if a passage has, an imperative, it has imperative verbs, I always point you to that. And that's where we have to start this morning. There is one imperative in this passage, in the whole thing, verses 10 through 17, one imperative. Every other verb in there is just descriptive. It's something that's happening. Um, there's uh, one little passive verb, something's happening to them. The rest is just description verbs. The imperative is in verse 10, and it is to be careful. Be careful. If you hear nothing else this morning, as a church member, as a leader in the church, it is be careful. Be careful with decisions that are made. Be careful with words that are spoken. Be careful with plans. Be careful with programs. Be careful with everything we do as church members. This is to leaders and members because we are both responsible for the church. Where the church ends up next week is the responsibility of every member of the local church. Where we end up next year is all of our responsibilities. Where we are today is the result of past decisions. And we are all responsible for that. But this isn't just as we make plans for the summer or we make plans for a a weekend or, or we plan a service or anything like that. It's not just about what we are doing in the church calendar. This is a this being careful is a moment by moment concern because every decision that you make and I make as a church member and or leader affects the church, whether we're deciding about the church or not. When we decide on summer plans for the youth ministry, well, clearly that's all about the church. But when you decide how you're going to treat your neighbor on Tuesday morning, that's about the church. It's not just, it's not separate. We, we want to separate it. Y'all know, I've said this before, I can't separate it. You know, there, there, is, there is nothing about my life that isn't church-related. It's all mostly I think about. If I'm not thinking about family, I'm thinking about church. And that's because church is also my job. It's my calling. I've been told to be a part 24 hours of the church. So I, I can't get out of that mindset. Church members, for the most part, get to. You know, you go to work, you, you spend your 40, 50, 60 hours at work, whatever it is, and during that time, most of you probably aren't thinking about what's going on here in the office day to day. Chances are. Now, some of you might be, and that's great that you are, but, but most of you aren't. And I'm not, I'm not fussing at you because you're not. I get it. But that doesn't change the fact that, 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 that decisions that you make in the office or in the plant or, or, or wherever, in the yard, it, decisions that you make there, it doesn't change the fact that decisions that you make there actually affect the church here. And you think, how in the world is that, does it work that way? Y'all, we aren't just the body for an hour and a half on Sunday morning. We're not just the body right now. 
And then when we all go our separate ways, somehow the body dissolves. And then on Sunday morning at 10, 15, 10, 30, whatever, we come back together and we're the body again. No, we're the body all the time. So whoever the, 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 the hair and whoever the toenail and whoever the, the finger and whoever the hip joint and whoever the different part, whatever part you are, you're that part tomorrow and Tuesday, and Wednesday, and Thursday, and Friday, and Saturday, you're still the body. So every decision you make in life affects the church. You're bought with a price. You are not your own. We want to compartmentalize it and say, well, the church is something I do on Sunday and Wednesday, and, and you know, I think about it if I need to, and I try to be good or whatever, but I, I'm, not, you know, I'm not a fanatic about it. You're part of a new kingdom. How can you not be a fanatic about it? You, you are an, a stranger in a strange land right now. You don't belong here. Earth, America, Louisiana, sulfur, this isn't your home. You never cease to be a part of the body. So every decision you make every day, throughout your day, is a church decision. Paul describes himself here in verse 10 as the, the skilled master builder or expert builder. Actually, that word is, is wise builder. There's a reason he uses the word wise. Because in previous chapters, he has contrasted wisdom of the world and wisdom of God. And he's going to continue to do that throughout the letter. This is going to be a common theme that he uses. And so when he says, Paul, he was the wise builder, he, plant, he started that church, planted that church, began that church on the foundation of Jesus. And everything that comes after that, is based either on the world's wisdom or God's wisdom. And he's saying, my, God's wisdom was what started the church. God's wisdom needs to be what continues to build the church. He's a wise builder that, in verse 11, built on one foundation. For no one can lay any other foundation that has been laid down. That foundation is Jesus Christ. So he says, be careful to begin with that, that you're, you're building accurately, carefully, building well, but understand you can't build on another foundation. You can't start a new church. That doesn't mean you can't start a new local body of believers. That means that there is no other foundation that can be rightly called a church. If you build a church, if you build a local body of believers even, on something besides Jesus Christ, the gospel, the great commission, making disciples and teaching them, evangelism and discipleship, if you build a church for any other reason, based on any other desires or needs, you are building on an improper foundation. It's not a true church. That one foundation in verse 11 is the reason for all we do. When we make a plan for the summer or for the weekend, Jesus, the gospel, evangelism, and discipleship are the reasons we make those plans. 
And yes, when you get up on Tuesday morning and you're debating how to handle the next door neighbor whose dog barked all night or has a super loud car or whose fence is in your property or whatever your spat is with them, you are to make your decision based on the one foundation. Jesus. And it rolls over into every arena of life. Uh, I believe it was a guy by the name of Abraham Kuyper, I'm going to get that wrong probably, that said there is no, I'm going to paraphrase this, there's no molecule of the universe where God doesn't say, that's mine. It's the same with our decisions There's no decision you can make. There's no choice that you can uh, go between on any day in any situation where God doesn't say, that's mine. Because whose are you? Yours? No, you are not your own. You've been bought with a price. That means you are a slave. You don't get to make decisions that are all your own. You don't get to divorce your daily life from your Christian life. Your foundation is Jesus. It's the reason for all we do. And that that reason, that foundation, is to know Jesus and know him better. Evangelism and discipleship. So every decision we make as a church should be about evangelism or discipleship. But every decision you make in life should be about telling somebody about Jesus or living the Christian life. That's every decision. And, and I love what J.D. Greer has done at the Summit Church in uh, Charlotte. It's a, he's got a huge college program. You've got multiple colleges there in, in his area. And he tells college students, their, their college ministry, he tells them, look, you're going to get a job. Right now, when you graduate from college, you can go anywhere, right? I mean, you, you, can, you can get to choose where you apply for jobs. Why don't you apply for a job in a city where we are planting a church? Make your decision, your, your next decision, a lifelong possibly decision based on how God can use you. Y'all, that's, that's just basic Christianity. Every decision is based on that one foundation of sharing Jesus and knowing Jesus. We have that one foundation in verse 11. Be careful what you do. Be careful how you build on this one foundation. And then the third thing we see is quality work. Here's the advertisement for the new company, Quality Builders, who's coming to Sulphur to help you overcome the the horrors of hurricanes. You know, this is what we hear. Quality work. Verse 12, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of of each one's work. Every activity as a believer, 
every activity as a church leader especially is based on evangelism and discipleship. If we are building a church based on those things, then we are building a church with gold, silver, and costly stones, costly jewels. It has nothing to do, obviously, please, obviously, with actual physical buildings. It has everything to do with what we are doing with the mandate that we are given as believers. Go therefore in all nations, baptizing them and teaching them. Make disciples and disciple them. Evangelize them and disciple them. Every activity then is based on that. It's what we are doing as a church, gold, silver, and costly stones. Are we doing things that will make a believer or disciple a believer? If not then we're not building with gold, silver, and costly stones. We are building with wood, hay, and straw. We are wasting our time as a church, our resources, our people, our efforts, if we are doing anything that doesn't point to Jesus. Now, we live in a reality. This is our reality. The reality is we prefer air conditioning. We prefer some sort of organization. So that means file cabinets and, and desks. And we, we like for things to be comfortable when people come. So that means cushy chairs and, and not uh, a two-by-six uh, bench you know, with, with wooden legs. We, we spend money on things that we go, mm, is that really, is that discipleship, is that evangelism? We could actually debate that and 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 I could say you know what you're right we're going to start meeting outside every Sunday we're going to get rid of all this um this is just wasted money we're going to meet outside we're going to sit on the ground we're not even going to buy lumber because we know what lumber costs right now uh I'm just going to yell loud uh, no 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 microphones no sound uh magnification we're just going to we're not going to spend anything on anything unless it is discipleship and evangelism and that might work. I don't know. Currently, I don't feel led to go that direction. Okay? I, I, thank you. I like, I like the cushy chairs. I, I like the air conditioning. And I believe those are important tools for us to be able to reach more people in, quite frankly, our cushy Western civilization. If we were doing house churches in foreign countries or under tree churches, well, we wouldn't need all these things. You know, and, and it's a different story and when we would have some different uh, ways of doing things. But, but, beyond the basics, beyond what we consider needs, and again, I think we could have a great debate, a conversation on, on what really is a need. But beyond those things, if, if we are putting time and energy toward activities, toward, oh, we need to do this as a church, I need to do this in my life, but those things don't point to Jesus. We're wasting our time. But worse than even wasting our time, because my time's not that valuable, but you know what is? A soul. And if we are doing things that don't lead people to Jesus, 
then we're building with wood, hay, and straw. If they don't disciple people, we're, we're building with wood, hay, and straw. Our, our work is worthless. We're not doing the job of the church. And so that has been a benefit of this complete reset we've had as a church over this past year. More of a reset than we planned on. We didn't plan on any of it, but the pandemic gave us some reset. The hurricane gave us a couple more resets, hurricanes. Uh, So we have the opportunity now, because everything stopped, to look at, okay, we want to start this up again. Why? Does it reach people for Jesus? Does it create disciples? If it does one of those two things, then absolutely. But if we're doing it because we've done it in the past, and it lost any purpose it ever may have had for evangelism or discipleship, then we're going to question that. Is that something we need to start up again? Is that something we need to do again? And yes, fellowship is a part of the church. But if you remember back... I guess it was right before the hurricanes. We started Philippians. We talked about how fellowship was not ice cream socials. Fellowship was gathering to do the work. We, fe- we fellowship when we disciple, when we evangelize, when we are doing the, the work. It, it, it's clear that the early church broke bread together. They had times when they just hung out. But you know why they just hung out? Because... The world rejected them. They didn't fit. They didn't have real close friends except in the church. And when they hung out, you know what the Bible tells us they talked about? The Bible. Even their fellowship was discipleship or evangelism. It created opportunities to bring people in who might not have been there. So... Wood, hay, and straw don't lead people to Jesus. This poor quality building will not lead people to Jesus. Now, based on the context of this letter, based on what Paul has already said and what he will continue to say, the poor quality, the the wood, hay, and stubble, or straw that he's talking about here, is actually due to division in the church. Why were they building such a weak church? Because they were trying to build a church in division. Imagine a literal building. You've got a square for a foundation, but you've got four different groups planning on where the walls are going to be. We've got to put a wall along the edges. Nope, we're going to crisscross the walls. Going to be an X in the middle. Nope, we're going to build a round church on this square foundation. And then some come and lay their bricks, and others come and get their bricks off and lay their bricks. And we've got to on and on and on because of man's wisdom. There's a, there's a, a real-life analogy for this, and I think I've used this example for, with you before. Sometime around the 60s or 70s, folks realized that people like Lottie Moon had it right. Lottie Moon, Lottie Moon Christmas offering, 
when she went to China, she started dressing in traditional Chinese clothing. She lived in traditional Chinese housing. That was how she reached the people. She looked like the people. She, she became a part of the culture. She contextualized the gospel. And then somewhere along the way, we decided that we were going to go to uh, the savannas of Africa and the, the jungles of East Asia and build square brick churches where people lived in round grass huts. It, it didn't make sense. We, we had our idea of what we were going to build, literally, literally what we were going to build. So they went and they built these things, and they didn't reach the people. They thought, oh, they'll come to a church. They didn't know that was a church from anything else. That's a square peg in a round hole as far as they were concerned. They, this division, this poor quality, did not lead people to Jesus. And it was because there was one idea here and one idea there and one idea over yonder. And those groups fought and divided. And what we have in Corinth was a building of wood, hay, and straw. Paul tells them, though, that there are, there are builder incentives. They would have understood this at this time. Even then, they had builder incentives. If, if a builder does a good job and he finish, finishes early or on time, Don, where are you sitting? When they're, when they're doing the highways, right, they've got incentives. You finish early, you get bonuses. What happens if you finish late? You lose money, right? There are fines. You said you'd be done by this time. We'll pay you more if you get done early. We, you get less money if you get done late. That's the exact thing Paul is talking about here. These builder incentives. If anyone's work, verse 14, if anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a reward, an incentive, a bonus. If anyone's work is burned up, he will experience loss, a fine, a penalty. But he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Rewards for good work, fines for bad work. This is talking about us as the church, what we do, and the rewards we get as church members when we die. That's what it's talking about. What we have done in our church, in our lives, what we have built, we will be either rewarded or find for in heaven. Now, this does not affect our salvation. This is not him saying you might lose your salvation. Because look back, the foundation is Jesus. The foundation never changed. The foundation of Jesus Christ is what will get us to heaven. He himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Only by the skin of his teeth. Just barely. You hear that? We will barely be saved if we've spent our life as a part of the church building, on, building with wood, hay, and straw in this context, as Paul writes, because of our divisions in a church. Oh, you'll be saved. But it won't be good when you get there. It won't be great when you get there. There's going to be some reckoning. And I think we sit back and we go, 
All right, I'll, I'll, I'll deal with that then. I, 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 I know I do. But I, that is so distant in my mind. You know, just based on numbers, some of y'all are closer than I am. But anything could happen on the way home. But it's so distant in my mind and so abstract. I'm not going to get rewards. I'm, I'm going to be punished. I, I, I will experience loss in heaven. Okay, what's for lunch? You know why I think that? You know why some of y'all think similarly? We've just got a very, very small view of God. We sing how great thou art. We sing how great is our God. We'll quote the beginning of wisdom. Fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And then when we're told, if you don't straighten up, the day of judgment for you is not going to be peachy, we go... Okay. Oh, that's going to stink. So, what's next? That's the way we approach it. And, 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 and I, can't, I can't stand up here and, and make your view of God bigger. I can't make my view of God bigger very well, so I certainly can't affect yours. But hear what will happen. In the last days, when we go to see Jesus, when we have died and, and everything that's going to happen at the end happens, however it happens, and we're all standing before the judgment seat, there will be a judgment, the Lamb's Book of Life. My name's there, your name's there. If you've trusted Jesus, we're all in that book. But there will be a book, or there will be a moment. This may be just metaphorical. Or maybe we will literally see all the stuff we've done. Maybe it is a book. And that book will catch on fire. And whatever is left is everything that we did that was worthwhile. And everything that we didn't do worthwhile is burned up. And we approach that, I believe, with a very, very profound shrug. But just in case we're not listening, Paul takes us a little further. You're, you're, you're going to get rewards for good work, fines for bad work. There will be incentives. There will be a day of reckoning. But then we come to the arsonist's punishment. That's what I labeled this as, the arsonist's punishment. Don't you yourselves know that you are God's temple? And that the Spirit of God lives in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and that is what you are. The arsonist's punishment. The one thing that they were most worried about, even building with stone, was fire. You say, well, it doesn't burn the stone. You're right, it doesn't burn the stone. But that stone, the roofs, the, the, the door frames, the lintel, the door posts, all that, all of that was wood. Most of their furniture was wood. So a fire that started had plenty to burn, 
and you burn the right pieces of wood, and the stone collapses. So they were concerned about fire, and that was the, the big incentive for a builder. You build well, this doesn't fall, there, there are no accidents along the way, then you get these rewards. So that's one reason I use this idea of arsonists' punishment. But what God is saying here through Paul is that we, the church, are God's temple. Yes, the Holy Spirit lives in us. Yes, individually we are the temple. But again, we don't think just individually, we think corporately as the church. We as the body are the temple. That's why we as the body are all members of the body. I'm not just the bride of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. We have many parts, but we're one body. And if we are that one body, Paul says, you are the temple of God. And he says it in verse 16 as if it's a duh statement. Don't you know this? They do. Aren't you aware of this? They are. Have you not been paying attention to what I've said? Clearly they haven't. Don't you yourselves know that you are God's temple? And they understood what the temple was. Enough of them were Jewish that they knew the temple in Jerusalem. But right there in Corinth, they had plenty of temples to look at. They knew the point he was making. They knew the importance behind their uh, templehood, their templeness, when he would make such a statement. We, the church, are God's temple. And what he says in verse 17 should shake us to our core. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. If anyone sets out to destroy a church or watch it burn, that's a phrase I've heard, they aren't saved. Period. I don't know someone else's salvation. I can't look in your heart. I can't see it. I don't know what it is. But what Paul says, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, if anyone destroys God's temple, if that is their goal and that is their purpose, God will destroy him. Now, we could say, well, God's just talking about he'll, he'll kill them while they're alive. He'll destroy them. That's a maybe. But he's not talking about lifetime right now. He's talking about end time right now. The only way that a believer, nah, the only way that a person will be destroyed in the end is if they aren't saved. They will experience destruction. That destruction being separation from God. What Paul is clearly saying here is that if you are willing to work to destroy a church, if you are willing to sit around so you can watch a church burn, you aren't saved. Scripture. Here's the grace of God, though. You're not dead yet. You still can be saved. There is repentance. There is hope even for a church destroyer. You can be saved. It'll be hard. 
I mean, it's hard enough to be saved anyway. I'm not talking about the process. I'm talking, I mean, I mean I'm, I'm not talking about how you're saved. I'm talking about the willingness to admit sin, to admit you're wrong, especially in a crowd that you have tried to destroy, a body of believers that you have worked to harm, where you've sat so you could watch it burn. But it's there. You can be saved. Nobody. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Nobody is outside the reach of God's grace. Even a church arsonist. And maybe you're not a church arsonist. Maybe, maybe you're not even a, a, a builder at all. What Paul's talking about here is the people being builders. The, the stones, I believe it's Ephesians, he talks about the stones of the, uh, of the church being the people. He, he loves this metaphor uh, of a building, and he uses it in a number of different ways. Maybe you're not, you're not even a stone. You're, you're, you're in the quarry still. You're, you're not even a part of what the church is doing. You've never trusted Jesus. I'll stop using the metaphor. You've never trusted Jesus as your Savior. You're, you're not watching the church burn. You're not trying to destroy it. You've just, wow, you've heard this gospel message a few times, and now you want to respond to it. You can today. Admit that you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he died for your sins, that he rose on the third day. And then choose to follow him. Pray uh, some prayer like that. Not words, not even the prayer is, is what's necessary, but the heart change is. And you'll be saved. And you'll be a part, you'll be one of the stones of the church as we build together. But maybe... You're the church arsonist. And you've claimed salvation. But as you have worked to destroy God's temple, the church, the local body, let me stop here for just a second. There's no guarantee that First Baptist Sulphur will exist past tomorrow, much less 10, 15, 100 years from now. When Jesus says the gates of hell will not prevail against his church, he's talking about his church universal. There will always be a church till Jesus comes back. The church arsonist, the one who seeks to destroy a church, may succeed. It could, it could happen. And God will destroy him or her. But the church will go on. The church, the church, will go on. Let's not get to that point. I pray that those who would set out to destroy a church would be saved. Do that this morning. No longer work against what God is doing. No longer sow division. No longer build with wood, hay, or straw. And let's build a church together in unity of gold, 
silver, and precious stones. So when the day comes and we see each other kind of over there, I don't know how we're going to be grouped when we get there. Maybe we'll be close by. Maybe we'll be. We get to watch. And somewhere in our recollection, somehow, when we see the conflagration take everything we've done, we see. I see the gold, silver, and stones. Yes, that was that, was that summer after the hurricanes. Yes, that was, that was after the, the pandemic and, and we began to do things differently and we made sure we were building properly and oh, that, oh. They quit trying to burn down the church and they joined us in unity. Look at the stones, the gold and the silver that was left after that moment. Pray with me. Father, I do pray your hand on us. A number of prayers, I pray, that those of us who have built improperly, we all have at some point. So I'll just say we. As we have built improperly, Lord, forgive us. Let us see the shoddy nature of our own workmanship and not wait for it to burn up, but let's tear it down now and make sure, Lord, that we as a church body are building with gold, silver, and precious stones. Let us rejoice in the work, the daily, all-the-time work of a, a member of this body doing God's work in God's kingdom for our King of Kings, Jesus. I pray that prayer for all of us. I pray the prayer for a few of us who would destroy your temple, who would watch it burn, that you would move on their hearts to salvation. That they would see that they cannot know your son and hate his church. God, I pray for their salvation, for their unity with this body of believers to see the work you have for us as the seed has been planted and it begins to grow as this church is reborn as this church is rebuilt that we come together in unity and that we look forward to the day when everything is tested by fire and we get to celebrate the gold, silver, and precious jewels that are left because we had quality builders doing quality work. And God, finally, I pray for those who've never left the quarry, who've never left, uh, they've never become a builder in the church, never become a stone in the wall. The seed of the gospel is planted, but it has never, never uh, uh, sprouted. I pray this morning that they would hear the gospel call to, to follow you, to admit 
they are a sinner, to believe in Jesus Christ, that only he can save them from their sins, and that they would choose to follow Jesus. And if there are other decisions they need to make, like in baptism, following in a believer's baptism, or joining our church, or any other decision this morning, that you would do that in our hearts today, in every heart today. God, thank you that you still warn us. You still protect us. And that, God, you are so good and great. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So however the Lord is working on your heart this morning, I know he's working on mine, respond in faith. As you hear him today, we're going to stand and sing, have an opportunity for us to continue to think about, to marinate in what he has told us. If you'd like to uh, talk about your salvation or lack thereof at the moment, Tom will be at the back. Uh, Looks like Amy probably, nope, she's up here. Uh, Tom will be at the back. You can grab one of our deacons, there are usually a couple of them standing in the back as well. They would be happy to share with you about that. If you'd like to come to the front and pray, go for it. You're still bringing your stuff forward, even if it's not a, a legit stage. But whatever God is doing to you today, I believe he has spoken to every one of us through his word. Listen to him and do business with him as we sing.